Love podcasts? You'll love Podcast Magazine, taking readers into the lives of today's leading podcasters and beyond the microphone of the shows fans love. Each month, Podcast Magazine's dedicated writers share personal interviews, industry happenings, exclusive categorical charts, and independent ratings and reviews of under-the-radar shows. If you listen to podcasts, subscribe now at podcastmagazine.com and grab a free lifetime subscription while you can. That's podcastmagazine.com. On today's episode of Reinvention Radio. So uh, what we do is we create environments where employees actually want to come to work and customers want to keep coming back. And I do that with my B plus C plus S formula. Uh, Richie kind of alluded to it. That stands for brand, culture, and strategy. This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition here, another episode of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Hello, Mary Goulet. What is going on? Life is good. Life, of course, is good. Richie Ote, what is going on, my friend? I'm glad to be back. Like you can't do you can't just quick. you can't just signal <laughs> like we see you on video I know, I know. but, the, but just, the salute like it's uh it goes kind of silent well, good? I, we're, i'm so used to being in the studio and being I able know. to like hug you guys and give you a yeah. kiss you know shake hands all the above so when are we going yeah. back? um clearly the answer is never <laughs> have you seen what's going on in arizona um yeah and new mexico Texas, Arkansas. Um, That's because you weren't at those pool parties. You were not invited to those pool parties, Mary. That's why you're not in the know. So, yeah, that was the whole big thing at the Ozarks and whatnot. Although I don't know if Missouri, if those numbers have have spiked at all. Um, but actually, um, yeah, I don't know if the if we're ever going back to the studio, Rich. I just don't know. I, you know, I'm. I check my temperature today on my forehead. I do that every day with my fist and uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. If you guys are okay, I'm, you know, I'd love to hang out with you again in the studio. That would be awesome. And I miss you guys. And, uh, but I just don't know from a societal perspective, if we're, um, if we're going to get this thing under control, to be honest with you, because we're opening everything back up and what does that mean? So lots to talk about today. And uh, we're, we're going to have our good friend, Ken Bader hanging out with us. And uh, we'll be talking about corporate culture and what could be a more important topic to be talking about uh, right now, you know, given, given everything that's going on in the world. Uh, and we'll be talking about a lot more as well here uh, on Reinvention Radio. Uh, really do want to thank those of you who have taken the time recently to rate and review. Uh, and of course, subscribe and download to the show. Really do appreciate uh, those five star reviews and, uh, and all the reviews, whether they're five stars or not, we appreciate you taking the time to share your feedback and in terms of your thoughts on the show. So thank you for that. And, um, and I will say that all things being equal right now, uh, we've had Ken scheduled for, for a while. Um, I feel like we had you scheduled. I feel like, I feel like we wanted you to be on for a while. I don't know if it was one of those last minute, just kind of jump in things or how that happened, but I feel like we wanted you to be on for a while, Ken Bader. So good to see you here, man. And uh, just say a quick hello, let you jump into the conversation, hear your voice. 
Hey, glad glad to be here. However long it took, I'm I'm definitely pleased to be with you guys. I always have fun with all three of you at the New Media Summit. So we're gonna have a lot of fun today, I'm sure. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. And so, um, and so, what I want to go ahead and do here first of all is just check in, uh, as we tend to do here on a weekly basis, and just see how. You know, how, how are you guys doing in, in your neck of the woods, your neighborhood, your, what, what are you seeing? Mary, let me start with you because it's been, um, it's been, it's been a couple of, of weeks. I think, it, I think it's been two weeks or three weeks since we've chatted, at least two. Well, um, no, I missed last week. Just last week. So it's just been a couple yeah. weeks. It feels like it's been forever. Yeah. When I don't see you, when I don't see you weekly, it feels like it's been forever. Did you get your B thing taken care of? Yeah, what the mother was going on with that? So what? What was the deal? You had you had a whole bunch of bees in your in your house. So, the corner of my house in the old days when you had to have a cable run for your TV. Well, then we got wireless boxes, but never plugged the hole. Oh, so found that little hole, and when all was said and done, the honeycomb was this big and there were 10,000 bees in the wall. What? So I, my former nanny dating a guy who does this bee, he loves bees. So he came over and took like six hours to get them all out of the wall. And he had to smoke them first, then he got them all out of the wall. And yesterday I finally had it drywalled up and painted. Oh my God. That's it was insane. insane. Hear that, Steve? You gave up smoking weed, you could start smoking bees. <laughs> <laughs> I need, need to do something to, to supplement my income, right? So that's, uh, oh my God, 10. That's what they estimate is 10,000. And then do they capture them alive or, or like, how does that work? So a thousand bees equals one pound. And there were 10 pounds of bees. Oh my God. So 10, That's 000. crazy. And they would have kept going. They would have kept going. So note to self, if you have a wild animal in any part of your house, I had raccoons, the second you hear them, get rid of them. Bees, they were in there for several weeks before I found someone to remove them. Just get on it right away. Yeah. It, yeah, Jiminy. So how, and uh, family, happy, healthy, all good? Any uh, any issues? No, everybody's fine. Portia got good. accepted at University of Oregon, Ducks, so she's going there. Oh, wow, congrats. Oh, I'm so excited for her. I'm that is awesome. And does she start in the fall or are they delaying the the start of things? Like what, what have they said from a, from a college perspective? So far, they're on the quarter system, so she starts September 25th. Okay, yeah, right after the uh, the new media summit. So hopefully you'll uh, you'll be able to come hang out with us and then go drive her yep. and and take her up that way. Oh wow, big changes. Does she uh, does she get scholarships? Like how does that how does that work? Because that's probably not an inexpensive proposition, right? University of Oregon, and I mean 2020 here, and she's out of state. Right, so yeah. that 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 can't be an inexpensive proposition. How so, how much is a year at the University of Oregon nowadays? Like, what is that even like full full tilt? What would that be like fifty grand a year? Is it really? 
Oh my God, it's insane. So what is mommy going to do? Invent yeah, a what's, <laughs> A lot of paychecks, right? Another paycheck. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Well, good luck with that. And, uh, and hopefully lots of uh, scholarships in, in her future. Right. Yikes, yikes. Richie, how, uh, how are things by you? Family, family okay? You seen anything in the neighborhood? Anything? Um, what, what happened by you riot-wise? Was there anything? Because I know there was a lot of stuff off of El Cajon and then La Mesa and so on. Did, did you see anything over in your neck of the woods at all? Oh, yeah. They went right by us. Um, I, sent a, I sent a WhatsApp to Kelly and Duff and, and Mary there when we were doing the calls after your launch. And... Uh, like, oh, sorry, I didn't answer. I just had some friends over for dinner. And they had, and so then it was just seeing them go by. And Olivia's eyes were like, what? Yeah. What's going on? Right. Um, they oh went up God. Sixth Avenue, down University. And I kept telling uh, everyone, like, uh, they're going to come down this street. They're like, no, no. I'm like, they started downtown. What are they going to do? And turn around and tell everybody to go backwards the same way they mm -hmm. came. You know, that's not mm -hmm. how a march works. And that's the only other way to go loop back to downtown. So no, wow. no, no. And it was funny wow. because I, I, you know me, I love life experiences at the, <laughs> and then borderline Pollyanna. So combine those two together and everyone was complaining because it was, we just got in this restaurant, first time really eating out. And so they weren't staffed, right? It was taking forever to get, just to come to place the order to even just get some water and drinks. So we almost left, but I'm like, no, you know how it goes. And if we had left or if they would have came on time, we would have missed it completely. But it was so awesome to see um, just that many people that weren't even remotely obstructive or like mm -hmm. they weren't doing anything bad. The re Some restaurants were coming out and passing out like little – appetizery things for them, water and stuff. So it was, it was awesome. So was there, um, how many people would you say, um, if you had to guess, how many people would you say if you had to guess were in, in that, in that March, in that group? Probably a thousand to 1200. Wow. Okay. Wow. So pretty good size group. And there was there was no fear. You, there was no, you, there, this was completely, completely peaceful. Completely peaceful. Yeah. And you could tell, I mean, there was the, the, the precautions were in place and what was great is you could see people working together. So the police knew they started at the police headquarters in downtown San Diego. Yeah. And then, you know, there was a helicopter circling them the whole way mm -hmm. and police escorted them in front and police were behind Mm -hmm. And then the, mm -hmm. there would be motorcycle cops that would kind of just Corral go them. a few blocks ahead to just make sure it didn't go down the street. It, they, they were trying, it, you could tell people were all working together. You know, they weren't, yeah. they wanted to be heard, but you, you got to be ready just in case, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's interesting too, because, uh, and so as we tie it back then to, to COVID, right, as things are starting to open backup i mean it was literally just within a matter of you know a week or so of things opening back up and then so many of those small businesses that had already been hammered with having to close and and losing you know 100% of their business really right i mean over that period of time some of them for for months and then you have people you know like even like the nail salons 
uh, as an example, are still closed. I just saw a feature on that saying, you know, we're, we're going to open that haircut places, but we're not opening the nail salons, right? So it's like, oh, don't really understand. I will wear a mask and whatever <laughs> they want, just give me a pedicure. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> this is one of the reasons I was so excited to have Ken on the show is normally it would be like a business topic. Yeah. But there's so many different directions with what's going on in the world. Of course, we could still talk business, but I mean, just the culture and the brand of police departments, the culture and the brand just across the board right now. It's yeah. just so much to talk about. Yeah, there, there's a ton to talk about. And we'll get, get to that. I just want to finish the thought around the, the nail salons and, you know, and so on. And just the point being that you, you had a lot of these small businesses who, you know, frankly, like a, like a lot of uh, people across the you know across the in the, the world, right across the globe here, are living paycheck to paycheck. Well, you know, you have a lot of people, uh, a ton of people, who own businesses that live kind of month to month, week to week, in terms of just being able to survive, right? And so, just not really living high off the hog, just making a, a decent living. And they were shut down through no fault of their own. And then things start to calm down a little bit more. They're given the green light to open. Uh, and, and across the, the country and actually internationally as well, although there wasn't really rioting internationally, but across the country, uh, you saw a lot of those same small business owners who have retail environments uh, get hammered in the riots and, you know, the looting and, and everything else. And it's just like, well, you talk about insult to injury. And uh, I, I saw a statistic that said, and this, this number seemed light to me, like it just didn't make a lot of sense. Um, but I saw a statistic that, sh that showed that 25,000 25, businesses so far um, have closed, retail businesses have closed across the country uh, and, and will never reopen. And I have to admit that that actually seemed kind of light uh, in the scheme of things. And then, like I said, you couple that with the, the riots and the destruction, the looting and this, that and the other. And it's just like, I mean, God, talk about salt in a wound for, for so many entrepreneurs who have, who have done whatever they could do over their, over so many years to try to build up these businesses. So, yeah, really, really interesting period of time. I mean, I certainly understand why the anger is there, why the frustration is there. Um, again, if you look at the majority of the people who resorted to violence and, and, and looting and vandalism and destruction and so on, uh, a lot of those folks just had nothing to lose. You know, I mean, just a lot of them were, were displaced, so to speak, by the virus, you know, in terms of a lot of minimum, think about who 30 odd million people unemployed, think about who the majority of those people are, a lot of those are minimum wage positions, right? Who occupies those minimum wage positions? You know, a lot of the people that you saw on the streets being very, very angry when you got nothing left to lose, what do you got to lose? So go ahead and damage other people's small places. And there's more to the story than that all these people who just happened to come together because they all lost their McDonald's job and they're organized people. This was paid for by Soros. This is organized. It's Antifa. It is not just 
unemployed people that just like beehive mentality go together to support the queen. It, I don't agree with your take on it as the only explanation. It's too organized. Yeah. Yeah, the Soros thing, that's that's a new that's a new one by me. I mean, I know he's been involved with a lot of things over the years, some questionable for sure. But I'm not saying well, it's right, I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm just saying it's a new it's a new theory by me. His legacy is the destruction of America. Just go look him up and read about him. He funds the Democratic National Committee and every candidate. It's so much deeper. It's so much deeper. Yeah. So, Ken, uh, let's just throw you in the mix here just because. <laughs> and uh, That's great timing, yeah. Yeah, you know. Can, we, figure, can yeah. we go back to talking about bees? You know, I used to have <laughs> possums in my house. That would probably be a lot uh, safer to talk about. <laughs> can we talk about possums? <laughs> oh, man. So, Ken, let me, uh, let, me, let me do this. Let me first give you an opportunity to, to introduce yourself. Uh, I know, you know, obviously you got your own consulting thing going on right now, and I'm saying that only because, you know, I can see you on video. But for those listening, um, g- give us a little bit of an understanding uh, in terms of what it is that you're, you're doing now with, with, with beta training and consulting. Because, uh, again, really apropos for the conversation that we're having today. Please. Sure, sure. I uh, I started beta training and consulting uh, almost 20 years ago, um, actually uh, on 9-11, <laughs> uh, technically. Mm. So that's kind of an interesting story. Uh, but uh, what we do is we create environments where employees actually want to come to work and customers want to keep coming back. And I do that with my B plus C plus S formula. Uh, Richie kind of alluded to it. That stands for brand, culture, and strategy. Um, And then through my work at Bader Training and Consulting, um, through work with uh, a couple of my clients in 2004, I started the Police Officers Credit Union Association. So I have kind of an interesting perspective, both from a business side and a law enforcement side and <laughs> probably a couple other angles as to what's going on right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so so to that end, uh, and again, there's a couple of different ways that we can go here, but but to that end, give us give us your perspective from from a law enforcement side because you know it seems like this is this is one of those turning point type moments and 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 I do believe you're going to see um I don't really like the term defunding uh I I, I do prefer the ter- the term reallocation you know because I, I when you look at there, there's two always two different ways to approach any type of situation, you can approach things from a defensive situation in terms of, of gearing up for, for worst case, or you can look at things from an empowerment situation, which is to treat you know, the actual um, disease, shall we say, as opposed to the, the symptoms that, that then show up. And so if that reallocation means going into some of these neighborhoods and providing more education, providing more training, helping to empower people who have not had the ability over the years to really empower themselves based on the system that quite frankly has been skewed against them in so many different ways. That to me is, is, is a really smart investment. You're investing in your people 
So we will see, I believe, uh, quite a significant shift in terms of the reallocation of those funds and some uh, quite a substantial amount moving out of uh, enforcement or defense or whatever it is that you want to call it and into education and empowerment. How, how do you think that's going to impact? And Mary, obviously, uh, you know, kick it over to you as well. But, you know, Ken, specifically at this moment, how do you think that's going to impact a lot of the people that, that you work with and, and have developed relationships over the years uh, with over the years? Yeah, yeah, I could probably go on for a half an hour on that, but I'm going to try to make it as short as possible. Um, the, the, the phrase that I've been using for at least the last week to 10 days is that being pro-police, pro-change, and pro-peace are not mutually exclusive. Um, we can want all three of those things, and we can achieve all, th all three of those things um, if, for the love of God, we could just get past some of this anger. Um, and I understand the anger. You know, let me say point blank, black and white, what happened to George Floyd was wrong, period. Um, and every single good cop, every retired, active, every single good, intelligent person that I've talked to involved in law enforcement will agree with that 100%. What happened to George Floyd was wrong. What Derek Chauvin did was wrong. Uh, so let's get that out of the way. Now, if we can get past this anger um, on both sides, frankly, I've seen a lot of anger, you know, some of it justified some of it, maybe not. Um, to Mary's point, I have no problem with people that want to protest. I have a big problem with somebody that wants to break the law and loot. Um, you know, I think, you yeah. know, somewhere in the Bible, there was that thou shalt not steal thing. Um, but One of those commandments somewhere, have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, whether, you know, you're Catholic or Jewish or Muslim or whatever, I think that was, was in there. Um, but I think we have a real opportunity right now uh, if we can get past this anger where I, I don't agree with defunding either, but I think that we can make some real positive change. Um, I want communities of all levels and of all colors to be safe. Um, I also am 100% behind any new programs that are going to increase the probability of a police officer going home safely to their families and tuck it in their kids. I'm all for that too. So, yeah, yeah I think, you know, to kind of circle this back around and then you know, close it up for at least that question, you know, from a brand culture strategy standpoint, you know, the problem that we had in the Minneapolis police department was a culture problem. You know, if we had a culture where let's say those two rookie cops were empowered to stand up, uh, and that was the culture in that department, maybe we would have had a different result. I think mm. that the opportunity right now is not to just blindly change programs uh, or to take money away, but to really look at the entire system, maybe look at Camden, New Jersey, at what they're doing with community policing. You know, maybe look at some other examples and see how can we change the culture and make this, make not just change it, but make it something better than it was before, not only for citizens, but also for, for law enforcement. Yeah, yeah, point well taken. Mary, anything to add to that? Um, I'm not for defunding. I, I, it's a clever thing to have it reall reallocated and it probably will be, I'm not sure. 
But if you look at your own community of sheriffs, like the Encinitas sheriffs here, they keep, I don't, what impact would it have if they defund the police and what is that, cut the force? Like some can't be, a, get, pay, get paid anymore and they're just gone? Mm. That's, that's kind of crazy, if you ask yeah. me. Because I came home one night, it was dark, and a guy was laying on my sofa high on heroin. Mm. I called the sheriff and they came. I called me, you beforehand, Mary. I called what? you beforehand. Sorry, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told you I was going to crash out on your couch. <laughs> you know, but they showed up. So maybe if half the force is gone, it'll take 10 times for the cop to finally get to my house. Yeah. I mean, we got to look yeah. at this. This whole thing is insane to me. But. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a necessary conversation, though, because obviously it's not firing on all cylinders. I mean, there are elements of what works, like when somebody comes to your house, breaks in, is high on, you know, on heroin and sleeping on your couch, removing that individual from the house. I mean, obviously that that works, that process, that system works. You know, do they rehabilitate that guy? Though is the question. What happens next, right? And so I think that's part of what we're looking at as well is it's not just, okay, we see, and, and by the way, we're not going to see a lot of this. As a matter of fact, we're gonna see a lot less in terms of what actually goes on because they just pulled down Live PD uh, and Cops, those two shows, uh, they, they just, they literally yanked off the air, you're done, not gonna see it anymore. And so speaking of what you don't see though, what happens after they come and they get that guy out of your you know, off of your couch? Do they help him at all? Because it doesn't help to just throw this guy in jail and say, hey, breaking and entering, you know, you did something wrong. How do we, again, address the, the, the disease itself as opposed to, to the symptoms of that disease, right? And, and, and that's, that is, I think, what a lot of this conversation is leading towards. And, and Ken, you know, Ken is in that conversation as well in terms of the culture. You know, it, it, you just, you can't always result, resort to to violence as a solution. And, and even if we just look at this in a vacuum and just look at the case of, of George Floyd as an example, is that really a violent crime of trying to buy? Like if, if he really needs something, whatever it is that he was trying to buy with a counterfeit $20 bill, if his life is at that stage, where he's willing to do whatever it takes to be able to buy whatever he needs to buy with a counterfeit $20 bill, it should never have gotten to that point is, is what I'm saying. So from a culture perspective, Ken, you know, if, if we look at this, I mean, obviously if somebody is standing there with a gun, there are certain actions that need to be taken for sure. But standing there, having tried to pass a fake $20 bill, to buy something that obviously he felt he needed in that moment and was willing to take that risk. Ken, as we just look at this from a culture perspective, shouldn't they have treated that differently than if he was standing there with a gun or a knife or was trying to actually harm someone? 
most certainly. You know, I, I have not seen every video involved. Um, certainly, if it's just a case of somebody even deliberately passing a counterfeit $20 bill, um, everybody in law enforcement that I've talked to, you know, w the show of force against George Floyd was completely incorrect. Yeah. Uh, which speaks back to the culture. But let's even go one step further. Let's say that it's true that he resisted arrest. Let's say that it's true that he was on some drugs or what have you. you the police officer does have the right to defend himself and defend the civilians around him. Um, however, you know, he's down. He's handcuffed. Um, you know, the problem that I saw, um, is the fact that this is what I saw. I saw, having worked with law enforcement for 16 years in one way, shape, or form, I am not a police officer myself, uh, was I saw an officer in Derek Chauvin that should not have been on the streets. Mm. And, it, and, I'll, and I'll go into a little bit more detail on that in that he, he civilians told him you know look he's he's not breathing he's calling out for help get off of him and he says he's still breathing you know he's fine and even one of his fellow officers a rookie said you know maybe we should turn him <laughs> on his on his maybe we should do something and he says no we stay in this position until the emts come or something to that to that effect you know, mm -hmm. what I saw is a police officer that did not belong on the street. So going back to culture, if we had a culture where one, you know, rookie cops could see, you know, this just isn't right. You know, I swore an oath just like this guy did. And what we're doing is, is an excessive use of force for what is, uh, what is happening here. Um, they should have been empowered. I think, too, one of the things that I don't hear enough of, I hear it in a lot of private circles uh, because people, frankly, are so afraid to speak out about this subject, is that you know, there is an issue with you know, cops you know, having mental issues. They, they, get, they, they get PTSD from cumulative trauma. Um, some of them, and I'm not making an excuse in any way, shape, or form for what Derek Chauvin did, but if we had a culture and a system where you know, it was open in that, hey, you know, there's something wrong with this guy. You know, not only should he not be on the street, he shouldn't be a training officer. He shouldn't be teaching other cops what to do. Yeah. Um, we should have a situation where, where those officers, you know, maybe on a yearly basis, go through some type of mental evaluation. Um, yeah, maybe that we need to have, instead of defunding, we need funding for maybe some types of certification programs like we do for nurses and other professions. Maybe we should raise this mm -hmm. up a little bit where, you know, we identify the problem police officer before something happens like what unfortunately happened to George Floyd. Yeah. Yeah. So Rich, anything that you want to add to this? Cause you've been yeah. Oh, gosh. Eerily so silent. I mean, it's, here. um, I, part of why it's hard for me right now is it's the combination of the place we play in the world of podcasting and all this sound bites are awesome and they're, they're so important, but part of, I think the problem that's going on is we don't sit long enough and talk long enough and go deep enough in a conversation 
to find out real solutions. And so people look for sound bites because left or right, like it's, I mean, you teach this in the podcasting course, it starts with attention. And if you can say something or do something that gets attention, that's step one. Yeah. And so, you know, one, I want to go back to, to Ken's comment on, I don't think it has to be mutually exclusive. I, I think we can do all these things and being, you know, Mr. Reinvention, Steve, like, I think this is a great opportunity to, um, or a, a time in the world to reinvent. And I think we'll look back at 2020 and we will have some good hindsight, right? Like, I, I think there's a great opportunity for us. But I think the hardest part is it's going to be a lot of hard conversations. And there's going to, we need to be willing to sit at that table through a hard conversation and hear someone out. Just like I was saying on the show last week, like, I don't believe we can do this at all. I don't think it will ever be fixed if it's always a us versus them. We, we have to sit down as a human race and not what color your skin is or any of this stuff. Just get back to what's right, what's wrong. But you also know me, depending upon what the conversation is, I could sound super left and I could sound super right. I think yeah. everybody deserves a home. I think everybody, everybody deserves food. I think everybody deserves clean water. But here's where I go back to the right. How fancy that food is, how high up the hill that house is, and, all, you know, and how fancy your clothes are, that's how hard you want to work. So, like, I'm, I, I just, I believe in people, and I think people really want to fix this, but I think it's going to be sitting down for a long time with hard conversations and willing to sit at that table long enough and not be thinking it from an us versus them, but how can we, how can we fix this? And I really think it comes down to leadership really mm -hmm. truly. And back to the, to Ken's topic is culture because yeah. there's, I don't know, I remember the exact stats, but it's somewhere close to four, somewhere between 350 million and 400 million police interactions a year. And Seems about right. if you person. think about all those, you know, there, it, that means that there's mostly good interactions. So how can we find the problems? And Mayor, I promise I'm not picking, but it's a subject that you'll, you'll see how it fits together. If the, the Catholic priests that did things wrong doesn't mean the whole Catholic religion is wrong, but they shouldn't just pick those people up and put them in another spot and let someone doing something wrong be in another spot, just like the police or anybody. Like right is right and wrong is wrong, and we can't just judge a whole religion or a whole police, you know, just put it under the term police. They're all bad. Like, I just, I just don't think we can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Point well taken. Um, and so I, I think this will fit into the conversation and I want to read uh, a post. Um, if it fits into the conversation, I, I will read this post, but let me, let me just ask you this, Ken, um, so when you see, and, and by the way, if there, if there are particular points that you want to make uh, across the board here, as far as brand and culture and strategy and your BCS formula and all that fun stuff, you know, jumping in at any time here. Um, 
and, and I don't have a hard stop today, so we'll go as long as we need to go here on this conversation. Um, but what, what, what's interesting to me is a lot of the knee-jerk reactions that you're seeing that seem to, to be an effort in futility insofar as a little bit too much, a lot of bit too late. You know, where, um, where you see like on, uh, on, on Amazon, as an example, you go on Amazon and you'll, you'll see just this whole, you know, sort of more than a moment, you know, Black Lives Matter. You go on to Netflix and, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and this whole thing. And, and, and it's just become to, in, in, and I say this, obviously, if you've seen my photo, you know that I am not black. So real hard for me <laughs> no, to put myself- No, say it isn't I, so. Say it isn't so. Um, it is so. But really hard for me to, to, to truly understand how this lands on someone who has been black their entire life. Now, I grew up in, in a very mixed environment and have had black friends my entire life, right? And so it's just, it's, it's hard for me to not look at people who are driving around with, you know, let's do this car caravan and, and put Black Lives Matter signs in our car and not feel like they're just jumping on a bandwagon. You know, like they never thought about this ever before in their lives. And now all of a sudden, you know, they are pro Black Lives Matter. And, and, I, and I just can't help but think that if, if things hadn't happened in the way that they happened, and, and maybe it's, it's good that it did because they are doing this, but at the same token, I don't think it sticks, right? I, I think it, it's a temporary blip, a temporary awareness where they feel like they have to do something, white privilege, white guilt, whatever it is that you want to call it. And they feel like they have to do something to say that they're a part of the conversation. Let me, let me just read this to you. It won't take me more than, you know, maybe 17 minutes or something like this. But let me just, let me just read it to you. It's from my friend, uh, Thomas, Thomas Stovall who uh, Mary and Rich, you both met at, uh, at the New Media Summit. And Thomas and I have been friends um, for a number of years. Tall, good-looking black guy. He's like 6'2", probably 220. You know, so he's like when he walks in a room, you know, he's the kind of guy that you notice physically imposing, super smart, right? Super smart guy. And, and when I read this, I was just like, I'm – I. I have not personally publicly commented on this because it's kind of a, I have felt like there's just no way that I can say anything on this that doesn't feel either A, bandwagon-ish, or B, doesn't feel like I'm trying to placate people that I don't need to fucking placate. You know, like I, I go through my Rolodex, I know who my friends are. I know who I surround myself with. And so anyway, so what Thomas wrote is he said, I feel like, it feels like I'm in bizarro twilight zone universe right now. I've never felt in my life like the incomprehensible amount of injustices, microaggressions, and microtraumas Black people living our Black lives face all day, every day, as, quote, matter to the organized entity called America. I think I'd be hard-pressed to find a Black American who does. Hear me clearly. I don't say that with anger. I repeat, this is not an angry statement. I'm saying this in a much more matter-of-fact kind of way, simply a rational, logical conclusion that is generally very hard not to come to based on the sum total of a series of quite predictable experiences you've likely had at some point in your life if your skin is brown. This isn't big news. Depending on where you grew up, 
the overtness and frequency of the injustice, aggression, and abuse, mental and physical, is more deliberate towards black people. But as you attain more education, move into new income brackets, and gain access into different zip codes and the higher net worth ecologies of people, the aggressions and traumas don't go away. You just get reminded of your blackness in between the lines, stared at, whispered about, followed in stores, bags clutched, doors locked, body language. Physical violence and aggression is replaced by microaggressions. Physical traumas are replaced by microtraumas. Some are deliberate and some are not, but all come together as a collection of built environments, visuals, and stories that affirm an omnipresent message that we see and hear and feel everywhere. What's the message? If you're black in this country, you're less than, and if you're thought of at all, it's as an afterthought when the people who do matter have already been considered and well taken care of. At best, America is generally indifferent to the daily hardships of being black in this country. Again, I do not say this with anger. Whether or not we believe it should be different is one thing, but in general, I think black people know that it is what it is and we're under no delusion about that. So to see my experience as a black man matter nowhere in the mainstream and to very rarely see people who look like me acknowledged in any significant way in America one day, then the country goes up in flames like a tinderbox and in mere days, poof, literally everyone is willing to publicly and definitively state that black lives matter. I turn on Amazon. There it is. I log into Netflix. There it is. I log into Uber Eats and Grubhub. There it is. I log into Gmail and seemingly every company I've ever done business with is willing to definitively state that black lives matter. I have mixed emotions, but the biggest thing on my mind, and I wonder how many others are pondering this exact same question is, what percentage of these people and companies truly do give a fuck about me and my black life and it just took this perfect storm of events to wake them up to the systemic indifference and oppression Black people in America face and take a real stand, and what percentage are still indifferent, but they knew they had to say something definite or risk being burned down too? That's on my mind a lot. Only time will tell us the answer to those questions. <sighs> yeah. So, so that is his perspective, you know, as someone who lives this every single day. And, you know, as we talk about going beyond culture and, you know, and, and what you do here, Ken, what, what do you say? I mean, as, as we look at a Netflix putting this on the homepage, as an Amazon putting this on the homepage, et cetera, from a culture perspective, I mean, what, how does that resonate? How does that ring for you, given all the work that you've done with all these companies over the years? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I miss parts of that. Can you reread the whole post? Um, <laughs> Thanks, Ken. My, my uh, attempt to add a little levity yeah. to a very heavy subject. Um, yeah. You know, there, there's a lot there and, and I'm going to try to answer it as best I can. You know, the, the first thing that I'll say is obviously I am also not African-American, so I'm not going to, to speak to what you know, either Thomas or, or any other African-American for that matter has had to deal with. Um, I, I, I can't rightfully do that. Um, you know, I will say From a corporate say perspective. That, right. 
Right. You know, I, I will I will also say, you know, and I think that this is important um, and I'll get to the the corporate perspective um, is uh, you know, I appreciate what Richie said on so many levels um, that you know, there are so many instances where it's a positive interaction with law enforcement. Uh, I think most law enforcement out there are, are really good people. Uh, I will also say this, and I will answer your corporate question, is in 1996, my aunt was brutally murdered by an African-American person with, uh, with a baseball bat. And I don't hate all African-Americans. Um, so I suggest that you know, if somebody had an unfortunate situation with law enforcement, that they don't hate all police officers. From a corporate perspective, you know, uh, there's, we're in a soundbite, as Richie said, we're in a soundbite world. Um, so you know, in order to uh, empathize and connect with folks, they put the, the blackout, they put the Black Lives Matter um, I, it, onto their brand. I could see why they would do that. Uh, because they don't want to tarnish their brand. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, you hear a lot of, you even see it in the protests that silence is violence. So businesses want to get out ahead of this. Um, I don't personally see anything necessarily wrong with that, as long as from a culture standpoint, it stands true. Um, you know, it's not enough to just say blackout and then do something else internally. Um, yeah, it, it, we, we need to make sure that that culture supports that brand. Uh, if, if a brand is going to be pro-equality, then culturally we need to have programs in place to make sure that you know, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're white or black, whether you're Catholic or Jewish, whatever you are, that you are going to have a clear opportunity here. If not, mm -hmm. you know, all that is not only not only is that a negative by saying blackout or, or black lives matter, you know, people will find that out and that will end up being a huge negative, uh, not just to your culture, but will completely tarnish your brand. So I understand what organizations are trying to do. Uh, but they need to believe that <laughs> at their core in, in order for that to, to really ring true. Does that answer your question, Steve, or did I kind of go off the rails there for a little bit? Yeah, no, no, you, you, you definitely danced around it and answered quite a bit of it. My, my, my concern is, are these, is there anything that the, that the companies can, can do at this juncture that wouldn't seem like they're just doing it in a response or is it okay to do something and create a new initiative in response to this awareness and just you know hey whether we did it because of this or or not we're doing it and and, and that's how we're creating a different culture it's, so you know what i'm saying yeah i i see what you're saying you know from a brand perspective if your culture was already like that for years and years and there are plenty of really really good businesses out there that have been standing for equality internally years and years and years before this unfortunate incident happened uh it would be my suggestion um, if you want to put black lives matter or a blackout and things of that nature I would suggest also pointing to 
all the things that your organization has done, such as, you know, this is, these are all of the minority people that we've promoted to executives in our business. Um, these are the things that we've been doing since 2006 um, to make sure that we're focused on equality. You know, have we always gotten it right? Maybe, maybe not. But here are the things that we have been doing so that it does ring true to say, hey, you know, here at Amazon, for instance, we have been doing X for 14 years and we are proud of it. And this is why today, especially, you know, we believe in equality for everybody. I think that that mm -hmm. rings a lot more true than just simply putting up a, a soundbite, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Mary, any, uh, anything to add to that, please? Um, so many things, but I'll keep it brief. <laughs> to me, it's a little offensive. All lives matter, period. From the cops that are good, what about the cop, the cop that was shot in the head and dead because of one of these protesters? Nobody talks about that. One, they're protesting in a violent, violent, violent way, destroying shops, beating a woman who lived above a shop because she was standing in front of the shop to stop people from going in. She was like 75. And they beat her to a pulp. All lives matter, not just black lives. This is a part of it is a farce. And I don't care what anyone wants to say to me about that. We can have an intellectual dialogue about it. But part of this is a farce. No one's saying anything about the cops who were killed by protesters at all, because all cops are bad. Nope, those four guys are bad. And they were all arrested, but that's not good enough. Now we have to go and destroy towns, small businesses that will never be able to get back on their feet. They lost their money when they were trying to keep their doors open. It's stupid. All lives matter. And about the homeless and about the drug addicted. I worked in the homeless community for years. And John, who was sleeping on my sofa, got hooked on Oxycontin, and then he went to heroin. In and out of treatment. I bought him in and out. I let him take a shower in my house, and I gave him his things that he left behind. So I tried to help him. I even contacted his family on Facebook to let them know where he was. So we can only do so much. And he preferred, I said, you can sleep on my deck. He said, nope, I'm going to the beach. And what was he doing? Meeting up with his buddies, sleeping on the beach and getting high. So you can only do so much. And the homeless people, the adult contingency, not gonna speak about the children, but the adult contingency, they like being on the street. Most of them want to be on the street. Most of them like going to St. Vincent de Paul and getting a meal. Most of them have fancy cell phones. So there's a bigger story to everything that we're talking about. And I don't appreciate the mainstream media just ramming down our throats. Violence is justified and Black Lives Matter and white people and Asian people and none of us other people matter and cops certainly don't matter. I'm out. <laughs> Rich, anything to, uh, to add on all of this? I thought we're going back to Ken's possums in his place. <laughs> back, back to the possums, yeah, okay. I had a possum once at my place. It was a baby possum, and it played dead. Um, ooh, that was a bad one right now. Um, 
like I said, all of these, all of these conversations, I almost feel like it's too much to try to cover too much at once. When we try to cover too many things at once, there's always exceptions to the rule. Um, kind of to Mary's point there, or let's just, let's, let's, uh, this is going to have to do with Mary's point, but I'm going to go to a whole different world. The, the, the world of the law of attraction, whether you believe in it or whether you don't, I do know one thing, whatever you focus on, you get more of. And so what we decide to focus on, you're going to, it's partially what I said in the very beginning of all these podcasts when we came in here, whether you want to go, this is the greatest opportunity in the history of man to improve your business and land grab and power grab and do all these things. Or you want to say it's conspiracy theory. We are all going to hell in a handbasket. Literally every single thing is sitting on a golden platter to prove your belief true. But there's 7 billion plus different beliefs. We can all read the same newspaper and we're all going to get a different thing out of what it said. So I just think, you know, taking kind of one thing at a time and talking about it deep while knowing it's still part of a big whole thing. This it reminds me almost of some of our shows on beyond eight figures. You know, you, you start out with something you got to You grow it till it gets so big. You got to break it. You got to put new things in. You got to look at it a different way. You got to grow it. You got to break it. But to, I personally look at this, like sometimes talking about it, like affirmative action and stuff like that did fantastic things. But then if you just stop right there, do you want to just say, I, I got the job because they need 16 people and I was the, there was only 15 black people and I'm the 16th? Or do you want to get the job because you were the best person for the job? So it's just, if we don't really just look at, back to what I was saying earlier, we're a human race. We have, when, when there's big pain, it's, it's good to listen more than talk, especially when we're not black. But at the same time, whatever we focus on, we're going to see more of. So it's, I, I'm a big fan of just taking one subject at a time, trying to compartmentalize it, but realizing it's always going to be hard because it's still going to be part of a holistic thing called life. Yeah. Appreciate the perspective on that. Ken, uh, any, anything else to add? I mean, if you were advising uh, a company right now in terms of either reinventing brand or, or, or culture uh, yeah, or, or strategy. Any, any final thoughts around what, if somebody brought you in and said, hey, you know, we, we, we need help uh, around culture right now or strategy right now, what, what would you be advising some of these companies to do? Yeah, you know, from a, from a strategy standpoint, um, kind of sticking with the, the theme here, um, you know, one of, one of my favorite authors, consultants, speakers uh, over time was uh, the late Dr. Stephen Covey. Um, and I keep going back to during these times, you know, one of the things that he said, which is, you know, synergy isn't one plus one equals two it's one plus one equals three or four. And what it seems is happening, not only in cities, 
but also in companies, you know, where we're talking about, okay, well, how do we get around this whole equality thing? So, you know, we don't wind up in a, a rough spot. I think it's, you know, let's not settle for one plus one is a compromise and equals a half. You know, let's, let's find a way to find the third option uh, or the fourth option or the fifth option because it's out there. Um, yep. So yeah, I think that right now it's about finding that one plus one equals three, four, five in that discussion to truly take advantage of an opportunity that is out there right now, even though everybody may not be able to see it. Yeah. Well stated, man. And uh, let me let me just do this, which is give uh, you an opportunity to to share how folks can get more information about you, and uh, and then Richie and Mary and I will uh, will wrap up here. So, if, uh, if folks do want to connect with you, find out more information about Bader Training and Consulting, uh, develop their brand, their culture, their strategy, et cetera, and go beyond that, what uh, what, what should they do? Where should they go? Yeah, the best. I, I'm pretty easy to find on social media, but the best place to go is to the website, which is simply www.btcinc.net. Um, tons of content on there, and there's even a free ebook that people can grab to find out more about brand culture and strategy right on the button in the upper right hand side of the website. Yeah, choose. Okay, so one more time the, uh, the website, btcinc.com. Yep, btcinc.net. .net, yeah. .com, you'll go someplace else. Go to .net. (laughs) .net, yeah. All right, Ken Bader, really appreciate you hanging out with us. And we will talk to you really, really soon. And My pleasure. Thank you. See you, Ken. We'll talk. Thanks, thanks. Yep, yep. All right, let's uh, let's do this, which is, first of all, uh, once again, thank Ken Bader for hanging out with us day and uh that is dot net not dot com on the uh btc inc so dot net there uh you know it's just one of these things where um we have to talk about it you know we, we we can't not talk about it and we're always gonna come from different perspectives and have different opinions and you know we we, we all receive our our data from from different points across the spectrum of the, you know, of, of the input universe, if you will. And ultimately, I think it's our job more than anything else to increase the number uh, of data points that we receive in terms of the input uh, that we open ourselves up to and try to go into those discussions without an opinion without a perspective, without preconceived notions, without judgment, and just listen, you know, because it is entirely possible that what I have received, what Mary has received, what Rich has received, what the 7 billion other people on this planet has received over the course of their, of their lives, it is possible that that data has been inaccurate. So if you're open to that possibility and you're open to listening to different perspectives, uh, you may just find that you come out the other side with a whole new set of thoughts uh, around whatever it is that you're interested in learning about. I would look at it as a, as a learning opportunity and go into it with that uh, perspective and with that mindset. And especially today, uh, without being, uh, you know, it's just, it's, 
it's a very interesting period of time that we will look back on. And I believe that there will be meaningful change coming out of this period of time. My wife, Lena, talks about how, you know, look, at, at one point in time, it was okay to beat the crap out of your kids. Like, you know, like that was just okay. And a lot of people did it. At, at one point in time, it was okay to have slaves and people just had slaves, you know, at one point in time, it was okay to, you know, to, to, to show people beating women, you know, like in movies, you'd see it all the time, women just getting slapped around and like, and that was just okay, right? At one point in time, you know, kids, kids were forced into, into labor, right? And you had labor laws. At one point in time, women couldn't vote, right? So all of these things at one point in time were acceptable to the way society was. And if you look back at some of the major shifts that have taken place and the redefinitions around what is acceptable and what's just not acceptable to do to another human being, with very rare exception, we, we look back and we go, yeah, that, that was kind of crappy that we did that. And I'm glad that we changed how we looked at our world and what it was that we found to be acceptable. So who knows how we'll look back at this, you know? Um, you know, and, and Mary, I'll let you uh, chime in on that, please. And then Rich, and then I've got one more thing to add and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap here. Okay, I was a little surprised by what you read from Thomas. So yeah. just out of curiosity, it'd be interesting to talk to him. At the I tried. <laughs> tried to get him on today. Maybe we'll get him yes. on in the future. So 200 people are at the New Media Summit. I mean, I just don't see people like, oh dear. I'm not, a, I mean, I was raised in a neighborhood that was very inclusive. So yeah, it was no big deal to me. So I'm wondering if he ever had a negative experience at the New Media Summit that he was looked at as a black person instead of just one of the participants. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, yeah. is it just when he's trying to get up the ladder in, at work and that's a cultural thing? I'm not sure. But anyway, yes, I look at multiple divergent opinion sites I don't really watch the news at all. I, I have my different sources that I'm like trying to double check and it's a hobby of mine. So it's not like walking past the TV and I hear a sound bite and go, oh, that must be true. No, mm -hmm. I really deeply research all of this stuff. So I'm very passionate about equality of everybody everywhere. So that cop that was killed and many others that were killed in or in the hospital, their lives matter just as much as anyone else. But for some reason in this whole stupid thing going on, they don't matter. And they're people too. There are black cops on every force. They, they matter too. And these people who are being violent toward innocent people and their places of work. It's just flat out wrong and should not be excused while they're upset. Well, then be mature. And as Richard said, and you said, Steve, come to the table 
and have a conversation, set aside all preconceived notions and judgments and do something. The black leaders of that community should try to organize peaceful outrage, not physical destructive outrage. Yeah. Rich. Uh, Yes, mayor. Um, The, so I'm just going to go specifically off your, your last couple comments there. Um, I definitely think that things will change. And what I, what I would really love is, you know, because a lot of people talk about the Constitution, but it's, it's almost like we forgot those things called amendments. Like we talk about First Amendment, Second Amendment. We almost never talk about Third because that has nothing to do with anything that happens in the world almost ever anymore. Um, but those are basically, here was this doctrine and these are changes that we made when we got new information. And so, um, not necessarily that I got to go all the way to the Constitution Amendment, but possibly, but in the general idea of Uh-oh. when you get new information and the information changes based on what you're actually wanting to accomplish, you have to adjust back to the survival of the fittest. It's, it's the most adaptable. It's not the smartest, the strongest, and not like we're unique as a human race that we can make decisions that can completely change our lives. A lion's pretty much going to be a lion. It can't get on a plane and go somewhere else and hang out in the Bahama. You know, like we have these super cool brains that can really figure a lot of really good things out. And I just think we got to sit down and just reiterate that we've all said we got to have tough conversations and just really look at it as a whole and, um, focus on what we know would be right for us all. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting too, cause I, 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 I was introduced to a new perspective that didn't even really occur to me. Um, and you talk about those tough conversations and I, and I think we're actually, uh, in, in a lot of ways being forced into a, a new awakening, into a, a new conversation by, uh, you know, if you're a Wu type person that, you know, spiritual, whatever the, you know, the universe itself, I did not actually make this correlation before uh, I spoke to a woman by the name of Joanne Williams uh, just a couple of days ago. Maybe you guys are aware of this correlation. I didn't connect the dots at all. Um, the dots being, if you look at what's going on in terms of COVID and in terms of it being a, a respiratory specific issue, right? In terms of attacking the the lungs, right? And putting people onto respirators and and people cannot breathe on their own. And you look at what happened with Floyd and this whole mantra of I can't breathe. Really interesting. And and I will say that I did not actually connect those dots. And if, if that's not the, the universe sending us here a, a message of the universe is, is suffocating. It can't breathe. There's too many people. There's too much pollution. There's, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, there is something to that that I don't think is just happenstance. 
it's a, it's and you know, conspiracy, whatever you want to call it. I don't know this, that, the other, but there, there is a connection there. And I'll be real interested to see how that plays out over the next however many years. But there, there is an, I, I do believe that there is this awakening uh, that is taking place on a lot of levels. And yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm glad we're a part of it. Yeah, you know, I do I'm too. Glad, I'm glad I do we're too. a part of this. Can I, can I say like two minutes max on that last comment you made right there, tying those together? Too. Of course, you know, you know, we're not on a clock here, man. Have at it. You know, it, it, this reminds me, and it, it reminds me of the plane, right? And the putting an oxygen mask on yourself. Here's mm. how many times the ball bounces back and forth okay, if we're not saying something right now, silence is violence. That, that's the kind of quote going on right now. But yet, yeah. but yet we need to sit with ourselves, like in our own home, in our own backyards, in our, wherever we can, by ourselves, not even necessarily with our family members, but by ourselves and be silent to, to kind of block out everything else we've heard, to know what we're here to do what we're here, how we're here, back to what I was saying before, we, the unique thing as humans, we can actually make this place better. It's not destined. I remember when I used to go, you know, pre, like early 80s, late 70s to LA, I couldn't freaking breathe. We, I mean, there's, there's things we've done that have made massive, massive changes to the pollution. Could we still mm. do more? Yeah. I think that's part of life though. And so it's literally taking care of yourself, making the best you can bring to, to, to bring it to the world, to make the best world can bring. And then realizing that everybody else is doing that part. You can go weeks without food, days without water, only minutes without air. So taking a deep breath, sitting with yourself, thinking about what you can do for you and your own family to make it better. So it has a ripple effect. And if every family did that and we realized every other family is just going to try to do that and there's going to be some exceptions, I think the ripples will definitely continue to make this a better place. And I just, I, mm. I hope we look at these as opportunities to learn and grow and not just stay in pain. But I know when you're in pain, it's painful. Yeah. Yeah, hurt people, hurt people, right? There you go. <laughs> All right, Richie, why don't you take us out of here? And uh, for Mary Goulet and Richie Ote and Kelly Pelker, I'm Steve Olsher. And let's just keep the conversation going. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, feel free to, you want to email me directly? I'll pass that along to the team and we'll share your insights as well. Uh, my personal email, and I would love to hear from you. Uh, is steve at steveolsher.com and uh, I would love to hear from you personally uh, as well so we will leave it at that stay safe stay strong stay alert stay aware and stay open you just got dismantled thanks for listening to reinvention radio for more information about the show and your host steve olsher visit reinventionradio.com 